This episode is supported by Seedlip, the world's first distilled non-alcoholic spirit. Crafted without alcohol, sugar, or calories, Seedlip spirits solve the dilemma of what to drink when you're not drinking, whether it's for the night, the month, or forever. It's as a non-drinker, it never feels great when your only options are water, soda, or sugary mocktails. But now, you can skip the booze without feeling left out when it comes to your social life. So whether you prefer punchy citrus flavors, aromatic spices, or savory herbs, Seedlip offers a drink for every drinker. It's crafted using a bespoke process, including traditional copper distillation of botanicals. And each of Seedlip's three variants, which are Spice 94, Garden 108, and Grove 42, are alcohol-free and have their own unique flavors, which pair so perfectly with just a splash of tonic. They can also be used to make more complex cocktails, like the ones that you'll find in the Seedlip cocktail book or on their Instagram account at Seedlip underscore NA. So head on over to SeedlipDrinks.com or .ca and use the promo code ThisFamilyTree10 for 10% off your favorite non alcoholic spirit. This is available in Canada and in the US. And again, that is seedlipdrinks.com and this family tree 10. But Alex. Yeah, Shane. Let's begin this episode. Let's do it. Hello, everyone. I'm Alex and I'm here with my husband, Shane. The babies are in bed. The cat is in her room and we are so glad that you could join us for happy hour on this family tree podcast, episode 113. And who is our guest today? I have no idea. Yeah, it was out of the loop these days. I know you've been busy, but it's all right. It's a great interview with Ahuva Magda Hirschkop. She is a registered dietitian and we talk so many food questions I had for her, obviously. But, you know, talking about food over the holidays and how to approach that within your house, uh, nonstop snacking, encouraging healthier foods and using mealtimes as a place for building important foundations like communication, consent and body autonomy. So it, it covers a lot. Has this changed anything that we'll be doing? Yes. Like what? Yes. Uh, closing the kitchen an hour before and after dinner times. What is closing? Or meal times in general. Mean? No snacks. So it's like kitchen is closed an hour before and after dinner. And I love that. I, and we get into why. I was snagging today. Well, I'll let you go. I don't have to make your snacks for you. Okay. But uh, Shane, cheers. A non-alcoholic cocktail, kept it simple, just Seedlip Spice 94 and a little tonic. Oh, yeah. It's very tasty, as always. We've had this many times. Well, kept it kept it really relaxed tonight. But, you know, I had to keep it relaxed because I've got one thing that's nagging on me, bothering me. I have my, one thing that's been nagging on me. My <laughs> wife. My life was ruined, in a sense, like, what, two nights ago? We were in bed after a really nice evening, a really nice date night, and we were watching Hoarders. I've never watched Hoarders before, like beyond, you know, two minutes of it. And this was, is there a difference between regular Hoarders and Hoarders Buried Alive? I think regular Hoarders is not as gross. I don't know. Oh my God. So is this, it's an episode called Tiny Monsters, and it follows this woman named Sherry. She's what, like in her 40s, late 30s? I hope she was in her 50s or 60s. I don't, I don't know. Uh, Anyhow, she had two kids, two teenage kids living with her and her husband had left her and it was- Yeah, the husband was definitely 55. He was an enabler. Uh, Yeah, of course. They all were enablers. The children were too. It was awful. And anyway, Sherry, she, you know, had all these disabilities that she was saying she wouldn't get into what they were, but she said the worst of them is fibromyalgia, which, you know, can be terrible, but can also be very manageable. And- 
she anyway, she said that her house was the way it was because of her kids and the kids not picking up, picking up after themselves. Meanwhile, she's the parent and there's like so much there. But the house had what, like two feet in all areas of garbage that they were walking on. In her defense, the one kid was almost 18. Well, she, she was taking care of the mom. She'd have to wake up the mom every single morning. Sherry would go sit in the chair and she'd go, what are you making me for breakfast? And then the kid would say, oh, we have some leftovers, mom, that we're, I'm going to heat up. And she goes, no, make me something new. And then the kid would have to make her mom new food while... Guys, there were millions, millions, I researched this part, of cockroaches in the house. So the kid would be making breakfast and there would be cockroaches climbing over the stove trying to get into the food. (laughs) Okay, that imitation was not even close to her. (laughs) What research was necessary? What do you mean you researched? In the episode, the exterminator said there was millions. What research went into Well, I've been on a lot of Reddit forums for this specific episode. Okay, and it just said, yes, the exterminator was correct. No, they were like exterminators talking about it and being like, yeah, there were millions and it it was a horrible situation. Like the house should have been demolished. Anyway, the house wasn't demolished. Sherry, because I was looking for an update because obviously, you know, they get it clean and then they haven't completely eradicated the cockroach issue. There were also, there was also a nest of black widow spiders in this house. Guys, I I just can't stop thinking about it. I'm so perturbed, so disgusted. Anyway, I was looking for an update. Apparently, Sherry died. What? Yeah. Oh, no. Because, and the hoarding got worse again. It did? Apparently. Oh, no. What she But I can't... Of? I don't know. Well, she, she had diabetes and she was... She'd like do her insulin and then chuck the open needles all over the floor. So I don't know if that led to something because that's obviously a health concern. She was also drinking full two liter bottles of Coke and as a diabetic, I'm I not sure. I think it sure. was Pepsi, not to nitpick here, well, but yeah. I did my research in the Reddit forums. Right, but as, as a diabetic, I don't know that that's the best choice. It was Diet Pepsi. I don't think there's sugar in that. Not to be a defending her, but. No, no, I'm glad you are. Cause I'm just, honestly, I haven't stopped thinking about it. I've, I've been in Reddit forums for the specific episode and there are so many dedicated to yeah, her. It's a mental condition, you know, and a lot of people have some form of it. Yeah, but anybody that's gonna go and watch this episode now, like it's not even, no, this is such an extreme. She was buried alive. She was in the, <laughs> she was in the buried alive episode. So you would hope it's extreme. I would be disappointed if I turned on hoarders buried alive and it was very comparable to our house when it's at its worst. <laughs> but everybody's saying that this is like the worst episode of all time of anything because it's just it's so horrendous. And that's the reason you love watching it because it makes every parent feel better about themselves. At least I'm not buried alive because <laughs> you know I feel buried alive. See, often. Do you get enjoyment? From that, like, because for me, I was just so freaked out and I felt so bad for the kids. And I wanted to, like, go up to this woman, grab her by the shoulders and just shake her and be like, but, smarten up. But she has a condition. It's a mental condition. You know, you're putting oh, on all but, these funny but, voices, putting her down. She, and she was abusive thing. to her kids. It's hard for me to feel sympathetic because she was so abusive towards the kids. Right. But if you have a mental disorder. The kids should have been taken away. They shouldn't have been living with her. I know. But sometimes the people just need help in certain ways. And I feel like you're a person that feels like people just need rehabilitations. But they do. No, you're taking they do. it hard on Sherry. Oh, it was. I'm sorry. I, I was so disturbed watching that. And I, I can't stop thinking about it. So my first question is, what is Alex pissed off at this week? And that just answered it. Yeah. You're mad at Sherry and the, or the situation surrounding <laughs> her. Yeah. Very yeah. mad at Sherry. 
<laughs> so yeah, if you are listening and you are currently buried alive, try to get help. If you're the, a child of someone who is being buried alive by their hoarding, maybe contact some uh, therapist or something because they were able to help Sherry. Yeah, or TLC. Yes, or TLC <laughs> if you want to be exploited by a reality show. No, they do. Seriously, they hire people and they, they well, help they and they pay they had for lots. it. Yeah, they had lots of people there. Okay, but our trip, we went on a trip, not to St. Martin, of course. We're scared about Omnicron and what's the other one? <laughs> yes, Omnicron. There's no, there is Omicron. another one. Omicron or Omnicron. Now I forget. Yeah, there's two of them. I well, just there's saw Delta what's, that's been around. Oh, yeah. Delta and Omicron. If you rearrange the words, it it spells like moronic. No, like false media or something. Media. <laughs> <laughs> Someone figured it out. I know that doesn't add up. Sounds but... like Shane's been lost in the Reddit forums, too. <laughs> Wait, I got to look it up here. Yeah. So Delta Omicron is an anagram for media control. So if you, isn't that weird? If you mix around the words. Shane, I've seen so many things like that. Like, I think it's just a good word for being an, an anagram. anagram. Um, but like, who's sitting there? If that was the case, who is this government team that's sitting there in some locked away room being like, we're the anagram guys. And then just like figuring out funny names that they've made anagrams out of to name big disasters in human history. Like, what a job. That's yeah, I don't hilarious. know who they are, but I'm impressed. That's pretty <laughs> smart. But yeah, so we didn't go to St. Martin because of media control. And we, we were worried we were going to get trapped in St. Martin because yeah. we had this nice little vacation. We were going to leave Lucy here, take Betty with us. And the fear was we're going to be on this four-day vacation and be trapped for potentially weeks and be leaving Lucy, Lucy with yeah. you know the grandparents who they- And over they, Christmas- yeah, and they'd probably be fine with it, actually. Not fine, but they would handle it. <laughs> Lucy, we were worried she might care. So we ended up going to Pillar and Post in Niagara. Niagara on, on the lake. lake. Uh, if you're local, the pretty... So like we we went a couple times in the summer, talked about it on this podcast. It's like a Christmas town all year long. Like right? A, like, a Hallmark Christmas town. Yeah. yeah. One of those movies. Oh, my gosh. Like the buildings are even painted like red and green and white and yellow and it's just it's so beautiful and this is our first time really going and hanging out during the winter and it was so gorgeous it was great and you had a good time it was worth it we spent about what 10 million dollars so we spent about 10 million dollars and uh it was i still feel full we ate like kings we drank like kings, and I'd say we relaxed like kings too. Well, that's one of the th things I was actually impressed we did. We curbed our drinking to the point where we had zero hangover. And zero. I know dads are notorious for never admitting a hangover, mm -hmm. so are moms, I'm sure. But we legitimately did not have a hangover. And I knew you weren't lying because I didn't have a hangover. So I was like, oh, I'm fine. And we were keeping up with each other all night. But you know the key to it, Shane? Hydration. Yes. And not just any hydration, guys. The best hangover tip you will ever hear in your life. And you might know this if you have kids. Pedialyte. Yes. Pedialyte. That like, was the secret ingredient. Also, uh, Gatorade. G2. Not, it wasn't G2. It was like. G0. G0. That might have mm -hmm. a new special ingredient in it that helps because we were drinking those all day. Usually you drink them during the hangover. We, we nipped mm -hmm. it in the bud by drinking the pre-hangover Pedialyte. If we woke up in the middle of the night to urinate, we would down some Guzzle. Pedialyte. Woke up feeling amazing. How, it was strange, though. 
later on, like after the trip, this wave of tiredness hit with no headache. Yeah, it was I got a very that. special type of uh, lethargic feeling. I got that today at about two p.m. Hard, like hit hard by just being so sleepy and feeling fine, just being so sleepy. Was it worth the money? Was yes. It- what do you think? Yeah, I do. I do think it was fun. I, not not fun. I do think it was worth the money. Yeah, because those meals, like I think the majority of our money went to food and like really special meals. And I mean, we could do it and, you know, do it again and not do meals like that. And it'd be significantly cheaper. But for us to have done them then when we are so needing such a, a special thing and a special vacation, I think it was so worth it. And it it really was so nice to just go in, you know, just kind of just treat ourselves and treat each other and have an adventure and do all these special things and next time let's go and let's just you know we'll hit up the pizza hut or something but it was really nice and it felt so good to guiltlessly kind of spend that money on each other did it rekindle your love for me no i'm just kidding it did I had a great time. For the record, I showed zero reaction to that. So (laughs) you jumping on that as if I was hurt. (laughs) Did it? Wait, wait, wait. Don't just blow by it. Did it rekindle your love for me? I'm always at a 10 for love. Oh, I like that answer. Yeah. What about right now? What's that? What about right now? Are you at a 10? Well, days, sometimes, today wasn't our best day, I'll admit that. I know we tend to have bad days on days when we're recording, so it might seem like we have a lot more bad days than we do, but today we were experiencing that come down from yeah. the trip, and mm-hmm. I, I think that's one of our weak points. We're great when things are good on a trip, but sometimes the last day of a trip we get a little edgy because it's like the vacation's over, I know. and you and I, it hits us hard. And then the day after, we're recovering from the way we were treating our bodies, which isn't the best on vacation in terms of alcohol and, and the diet food. food reading, which this episode will hopefully help me get back on track. Because you want to feel good. Food's such a oh, way. I know. I know. Like, it does punish your body to eat food that tastes delicious. I wish the world wasn't organized that way, but everything that tastes really good tends to backlash you in Our some Our one way. meal was quite healthy, though. It was, was just it? like it had a lot of rich sauces, but it was vegetable heavy. <laughs> <laughs> like even the pasta was made out of yellow beets. You yeah. know what I mean? It was a, a really thick, buttery, amazing sauce. Well, it was eight courses. Eight and courses. <laughs> on its own, it seemed like not a lot. But if you multiply that by eight, if all, like you said at the end of the meal, if that eight course yeah. thing came out at once, it'd be quite the feast. Mm-hmm. And there's desserts and... And I also had, we like after that eight course meal earlier in the day, we passed a bakery and the tiramisu looked amazing. So I bought a a tiramisu to keep in our hotel room that I could eat after the eight course meal, which I did and made me feel so sick. We drank two bottles of wine. Yeah. day, And we had a beer at lunch. No, I know. I know. Yet zero effects from the alcohol. But yeah, all of that did catch up with us. Although it wasn't headache, it Mm -hmm. was exhaustion. our exhaustion, our irritability was a little bit higher than normal so yeah you you do end up paying a price and that scares me after a trip <laughs> i i have this thing with you where i'm more scared not scared this is weird <laughs> language but i'm more fearful fearful <laughs> i don't know Shame. i'm just finding synonyms when you're happy because when it comes down i get like oh now she's not happy anymore 
No, I didn't want We had a crappy day and we were finally getting over it and I didn't want to talk about all this like in depth on the podcast because like you said, we were talking about this kind of stuff last week. These folks are going to think like, oh, Shane and Alex are really at each other's no, throats. No, all I'm saying is I'm very scared of you. I'm joking, I'm Alex. I'm going to get you, Shane. <laughs> I'm joking. You're supposed to laugh. I'm going to get the you. The fact that you didn't laugh just makes it all the more serious. <laughs> there we go. Okay, next topic, the Grey Cup. Our friends, Arkells. Now you're already mad at that. This is another issue. No, I wrote down I wrote down other topics that were fun just in case. Just in case. So it wouldn't be like, you know, not contentious, but why does it have to be contentious? That's not Wh- what I mean. Contentious. Why can't I need a better you synonym. Be happy for other people doing stuff. You, I am. N- you're not truly happy though. Well, no, because I thought I was going to get in on it a little bit. And now it looks like I can't. So it's a little bit of a bummer. Yeah, but you can't be spoiled like that, right? Oh, you, you're spoiled. Yeah, but I expect nothing. And I get everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but I, I truly do expect nothing. And that's a good way to never be let down. Yeah. But you, I, this is what I mean. You get excited. You assumed you were going to be able to go to the Grey Cup because my friend Max, he's playing the halftime show. However, Max has 300 close friends. You know these lead singer types? See, I, was, I wasn't expecting to get in like that. Like he was saying that we could go to the halftime thing. And then I was like, you know what? I've gotten around security at Iberwind before. I can do it again. But now I don't even know if I can get into the, the halftime show. So you were expecting to like what crowbar in and sneak in and now you're disappointed because you think you can't pull like well, home no, alone. I, I thought, <laughs> yeah, I thought I was going to get into the halftime show. Bottom line, right? Halftime show and then after party. You know, How could you think that? It was just discussed three days ago that that was a possibility. Yeah. Oh, you had a premonition that that would no, happen? No, 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 no. But that kind of solidified the hope, right? And then I was like, it okay, still great. could happen. I don't know. <laughs> I can't be bothering a guy who's about to play a halftime show for tickets. Well, I don't want you to be, but I just thought that there would be more chatter about it, not even from you, and that it would be like, you know, just kind of a seamless thing. Well, it's awkward. Like in public forums. There's too many friends, too little tickets, and you don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. And that's why I try to stay away from it. Mm -hmm. But that's why, since I did get the ticket, I want to feel cool for going, but my partner's not supporting me. <laughs> because I'm I'm bummed out that I can't even go to the halftime show. I know show, why. But <laughs> I know why. Well, I'm not trying to figure that no, out. No, I'm excited for you. I'm excited no, for not. you. You say I'm. I'm just bummed out for me. Yes. And that's superseding your excitement for me, which no, I'm no, questioning. No, 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 no. I'm excited for you, yeah, lucky little duck. <laughs> Are you really? Yeah. Thanks. Movie reviews. We saw the movie... Spencer? Okay, well, let, intro it better. So we've been watching lots of movies lately. Like we've been going to the theaters and we've been renting movies at home. And just to switch up the date nights. You guys know we like to switch up date nights. Sometimes we do games. Sometimes we do chit chat. Right now we're renting in theater movies or going to them. So we've been seeing so many. You know, we got we to gotta start talking about them a little bit. So tonight we're going to review, as Shane said, Spencer. The Princess Diana movie. Well said. Thank you. Okay, (laughs) Spencer, what do you think of this movie? A lot of people, I think, are excited about this movie. I think it's going to disappoint a lot of people because their expectation is going to be more in the realm of classic, entertaining biopic, Mm -hmm. when in reality, this is a really well done two days in the life of, maybe three days in the life Three days, I think, yeah. 
of Princess Diana. And it's a character study and it's well done job by Kristen Stewart. Yeah. So when I put it up, like I Instagrammed it that we were watching it. And then I got a flood of messages, people being like, oh, I hated it. It was terrible, whatever. But we were already kind of midway when I saw those because we took like a bathroom break. And uh, I was kind of surprised because I was really enjoying it. However, I totally see why, like you said, it wouldn't be a huge hit. Uh, it, it's kind of like a horror movie. It's very much like a horror movie in a lot of aspects. And it's also slow. It's, it's It has mm-hmm. that bit of the p- watching paint dry effect. And if you like slower movies, which I do, you're going to love it. But some people, they need a, not they don't want a character driven movie. They want a plot driven movie. And that is not what this is. So if you're that type of person, do not watch this movie. You're not going to enjoy it. And it costs a lot of money to rent these. Mm hmm. Well, it's not just, if you're putting up it up against going against the, the theater. Yeah, I guess if it's two people, it's much cheaper. But still, it's like it was what twelve ninety nine, fourteen ninety nine. I think. Yeah, about even. that. Yeah, about that. But no, I, I I really liked it. So like Shane said, if you're into that type of movie, check it out. Yeah. What What was some interesting points? What was your favorite scene in the movie? Mm. I like when she's getting weighed before dinner. Mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting, Tibby. You knew about that, but apparently. The queen has this game where you really like this game where you weigh yourself before dinner and you have to gain three pounds to win the game or prove that you enjoyed the dinner. So so it's before the whole holiday season, not just the yeah. dinner. So it's like you go to uh, where do they do it? You know, the whatever, the castle, the estate that they do this at, Sandringham, I think. And uh, so they go to Sandringham and then they weigh themselves upon walking in and then when you're leaving to go back home after the Christmas holidays, and this is a real tradition that the queen does, then you weigh yourself on the way out and you have to gain three pounds to prove that you enjoyed your holidays. That'd be so easy to do. However, Diana was bulimic. And if you do not have a healthy relationship with food, that would be so awful and triggering. And I, and I, I totally understand that. But yeah, that's fascinating. I liked the scene when she went back to her old house because Sandringham is close by where Diana grew up. And she's kind of imagining Anne Boleyn like this throughout the movie. There's a connection, an imagined connection with her and Anne Boleyn. And she like. Isn't that Boleyn? Anne Boleyn. Oh. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, maybe I'm hearing it. <laughs> so, she uh, she imagines Anne like kind of coming to her in this old abandoned house, and I thought it was just such a good horror movie scene. Everything about it, right? Like with the kind of the fake reality happening and everything. But I, I thought that was super well done. Anne Boleyn. Anne Boleyn. Boleyn. Not Boleyn. Okay. Well, I guess Boleyn. We saw Belfast. Oh yes, Belfast with. Katriona Balf. I don't know how to say her name properly, her first name, but she's amazing. She's from Outlander. And then Jamie Dornan. Dornan. Yeah, and he's from Fifty Shades of Grey. Mm-hmm. It's directed by the Kenneth Branagh. There we yes. go. And it's about his life growing up in Belfast. Yeah. yeah. And so, I knew nothing about this either. I am not a history buff to say the very least. So you had known this mm-hmm. story, mm-hmm. which is what, Alex? So Protestants and Catholics within Northern Ireland – Fighting for dominance, I guess. Like but they're kind of just rioting in the streets, which yeah. if you're a kid, that's got to be terrifying. Yeah. But the movie itself was phenomenal. I loved every second of it. I thought it was okay. I, I was loved good. it. It was better than average, but I don't think it was great. 
I loved it. I thought it was I thought it was so watchable. Yeah. The only thing I was confused about was anytime they watched TV or like saw a play or any form of entertainment, it, that would be in color and the rest of the movie was in black and white. Because back then it was such a novel experience to go see a movie that your heart was jumping out of your chest. You were in the movie. So they mm-hmm. showed going to the movies as such a thing. Mm-hmm. And in a way that we can't, you know, we're so used to it right now. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, li- I like that part. And I, I know, got why I liked they were doing it. it. I just didn't know why they did it. But that I like that explanation. And what I liked about this movie also is the fact that it was an hour and a half. And as somebody yeah. like we see this on date nights, we went to the theater and we weren't that tired when we got home. No, we still got to hang out on the couch. And, you know, it was great. Yeah, because a lot of these movies now, I don't know why, but they're getting into the two hour, two hour, 30 minute range. Three hours. Like Dune. How long was Dune? I think that was, yeah, it was like 220 or something like that. Yeah, man. Which I used to like when I was younger. But as a parent, I'm telling you, Belfast is a great movie (laughs) experience. The Last Duel. Now, this was a longer movie. Yeah. This is with Ben Affleck, Matt Damon. And who's the woman? Oh, I forget the woman. Hold on, I'm gonna look. I'm gonna look. Adam her up. Driver's she, in this movie. Adam Driver. He's he's got a huge role in this movie. And okay, it's wait. it's an interesting film. It's it, would you say it's about the Me Too movement a little bit, but in the what century is this film taking place? Okay, so it takes place, I think, in the early 1400s or late 1300s. You just looked at just, your phone. Yeah, but I'm not positive. But I think that's what it takes <laughs> okay. place. Um, and the woman's name is Jodie Comer. But it... <laughs> Why are you laughing, Sorry. Alex? That's a, per- that's a woman's name. Nothing's funny about that, right? Now, I do- she's a newcomer, it sounds like, because yes. I have never heard of this woman before. Yeah, she was phenomenal. So it's it's interesting, the movie, because they tell the same story from three different characters perspectives the exact same story like the exact same scenes everything but how it was viewed by each person in that scenario so like you see the first version which is i think matt damon's version of how things go and then you know you develop ideas about the situation about each character and about kind of who you're rooting for and then as you go through each character it just it comes really convoluted until I think Marguerite's character, the woman, Jodie Comer, and it's a fascinating, fascinating story. I think it was so cool how they did it because you don't get bored. Even though you're seeing the same scene three times in a row, it's not boring because of even if they're not big differences, sometimes it is, but the little nuances are just so much fun to pick out almost. The body language would just be so subtle. And I'm very surprised that they did that because a lot of people won't even pick up on it really mm-hmm. no it sometimes was so I, was, good. I was like what really was the difference and i wanted to re-watch it mm-hmm. but yeah like you said other other moments were quite different anyway longer movie though Long this movie. one yeah. if you see the early show this movie was not a popular movie but it did well with the critics so yeah it might be in the t- same territory as spencer mm-hmm. where if you if you love like this isn't going to be a huge crowd-pleasing movie Oh, my God, no. But, uh, yeah, I, I think worth the watch. If you oh, like wait. Spencer, you'll like The Last Duel. No, I agree. I really liked it. Do you think that any of those movies we just talked about would get Oscar recognition? Has that even come up yet? Have they been talking about that? Golden Globes? Like, when does yeah. that stuff get talked about? I think any biopic's always in the conversation. So, Last Duel, I don't think so. True story. Sorry, the tone of that was, what do you mean? What's- oh, it was a true story. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. So if we're talking biopics, I guess it's kind of a biopic. 
Not really. Not in the way that they're. Yeah, yeah. A biopic is like Rocket Man or something. You know what no, I mean? No, I, I get that. I get a lot that. of movies are based on a true mm-hmm. story, but they're not biopics. Yeah. All right. Well, I Spencer, know. I would say, yeah, she she could be in the running, Kristen. But yeah, that's all I've got. No, I think that's good. And I say, let's head on over. Oh, you know what? Let me just get one thing off my chest here. The stupid metaverse. What are your thoughts on that? This is another thing. It's like Sherry and from Tiny Monsters Hoarders Buried Alive. I can't get this off my brain. Well, before we get to your thoughts, I'll just uh, say I like it. Not that you were leading me in any direction whatsoever. You like the idea of the metaverse? Oh, I don't know. I don't care. I don't I don't even know what it is. I'm just joking. Yeah, yeah. That you are so leading me into not liking this. <laughs> no, I've been it's just freaky. Everything about it's freaky. Bill Gates is now saying that in like two or three years time, all of our work meetings are gonna be in the metaverse where we're all meeting through these like three D avatars and stuff. I'm down to try. It could be fun to be in another world. I know you have a big fear of people like falling in love with fake whatever no 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 it's just it's freaky and it makes me nervous for the world in general just getting more lost in like this weird cyberspace like we're already so lost in it how often are we on our phones looking up crap on instagram like we're already so lost that's not fun enough if i'm gonna get lost in something if i'm in a whole other world that could be fun sometimes Life isn't that great. Well, it's going to be fun. It's like cocaine, right? Like, I've never done it, but people do it because it's a good time. But then they get lost in it. And you could go down. Is there such thing as a cocaine spiral? I'm sure there is. Well, it's like a metaverse cocaine spiral. It's like it's meant to feel good. It's meant to be fun. And then people just get sucked in. And it just freaks me out. For the, Like, I'm having nightmares about this kind of stuff. Well, I'm all here for it. <laughs> With that, should we uh, head on over to Ahuva? We should. So let's get to Ahuva. But first, let's tell everyone who we are supported by. We are supported by Mini Miosh, a premium, organic, ethically made and sustainable kids and babies clothing company founded and created in Toronto. Mini Miosh makes the best basics for your littles, like quality over quantity and the most fashionable wardrobe staples that are soft, comfy and timeless and can be passed from child to child regardless of gender. And we were lucky enough to get an adult Mini Miosh shirt. For what was a charity, wasn't it? Yes, yes. So Kind Human raising money for sick kids through Mom Halo in Toronto. Amazing initiative. So but much it heart. It felt so good to have the shirt oh, on. Didn't it? <laughs> yes, because they they sent us a message like we something might be happening with adults soon, and then we got that. So yeah, it feels just as good as we thought and had hoped. No, Mini Miyashi is amazing. And their organic cotton fabrics are knit and dyed locally using GOTS certified cotton and low impact non-toxic dyes. They're on a mission to leave the planet better off for our little ones and us now than when they arrived on it. And they believe that every little bit counts. So you can find the company online at minimiosh.com or at minimiosh on Instagram and Facebook. And if you use the promo code thisfamilytree15, you're getting 15% off of your order. This is available in Canada and in the US. And again, this is off your whole order. So check out minimiosh.com and thisfamilytree15. And now let's get to our interview with Ahuva. Amazing. Well, Ahuva, thank you so much for joining me on This Family Tree tonight. I'm really looking forward to talking to you. And if we could start, what do you do? What do you do? What's your background in it? I am a mom of three under five, and I am a registered dietitian and parent feeding coach. 
and I run a practice uh, focused on supporting parents in raising healthy, intuitive eaters and being able to, you know, clearly uh, see how we can use the table as a classroom to facilitate some of the conversations that we want to be able to frame for later on. And, you know, we have to have them down down the road with our children. Mom of three under five. I I have to pivot back to that for a second because (laughs) three is always just for me, for my family, nuts. With three was the third an accident that's how it's gonna happen for me if I ever have a third it's an accident <laughs> so like after the third I'm like you know tell, tell my husband I'm like you stay on that side of the house like that's your side this is my side um I have four and a half year old twins wow oh so, my goodness yes um and then we have our our third who I jokingly had to I found out that I was pregnant actually the week before the world shut down uh for COVID fun and everyone was like, oh, COVID baby. And I literally wanted to walk around with a sign on being like, my children at home did not prompt me to have a third child. <laughs> no, that's tough. COVID babies are the hardest. Of course, I was in the same position. But of course, like I, I was, what, six months pregnant when we shut down over here. And uh, yeah, everything's kind of been nuts, hellish, whatever, exciting. It's yeah. been everything ever things. since. Now, okay, what, what's the difference? And like, I'm such a dummy. And if I'm a dummy, I can guarantee a listener or two, somebody else is a dummy in here. The difference between a dietitian and a nutritionist. It's a really excellent question. The way that I always like to, to frame it is really to not throw like any shade onto nutritionists because there are so many who are fantastic. Uh, the biggest difference between a dietitian and a nutritionist is that dietitian is a regulated term. Mm-hmm. So we're regulated health professionals, which means we have to uh, meet certain criteria, be able to write an accrediting exam. We have a college who's like our regulating body okay. who, you know, sort of gives us our uh, the things that we're, you know, allowed to do that we're sort of responsible to. We have a code of conduct, uh, whereas nutritionists uh, don't sort of have that designation. And so there are many who are fantastic. And I, you know, I work with, with tons who are fantastic. We just don't always know mm-hmm. sort of what the background is, what the education is and what the experience is because there isn't necessarily that regulating button. So is the, the education is not necessarily the same then? No, so the, the education for a nutritionist is there's, you know, there's places in Toronto, there's lots of places where you can actually go and do a course to become a nutritionist that is a year long, two years long. So there can be a really comprehensive education to it. There's also some people who don't quite do that, who will do, you know, sort of a weekend workshop and then call themselves a nutritionist, which is that's sort of the bigger complication is that you don't always know, mm-hmm. you know, what exactly or where the education is that, that uh, the person you're working with is is getting. Right. So it's it's like when you see on Instagram a lot of like life coaches, it's like that, but for food, the difference between like life coach, coach yeah. therapist, whatnot. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I want to implore all the listeners right now because I, I didn't know it was going to turn into that, but to be wary of people you follow of where you're getting your, your information from online, because I see a lot of nutritionists online Instagram, Facebook, whatever. And everybody has an angle. Friggin' I have an angle. You've got an angle. We all have an angle. We're all trying to make money in a way. However, if somebody is unregulated and not governed by a set of rules, that that becomes a little more worrisome because then they have an angle and then they're not needing to adhere to a standard, right? Yeah. Um, okay. which, which would hopefully help 
keep people within some kind of boundaries. So always be so careful, especially when it comes to, I'd say, like, do you see it online a lot? Like, um, very specific niche nutritionists, like, and I, I've had amazing nutritionists on here yeah, that have been like vegan, you know, whatever. I'm not vegan, but I like, I like to integrate some things like that into our lifestyle. But do you see that online a lot? Well, I mean, I think that we, you know, the biggest one, and obviously this isn't a dietitian versus nutritionist, no, but no, like no. You know, you know, with the medical, um, was it the medical medium that everyone was talking about, like the celery juice and things like that. And when you start actually looking the, the fact that you have an Instagram name that says something right. That says doctor or that says whatever, or even if you don't, right. And people are just sort of putting information out there. I think that Instagram and, and social media and so many different places, it's so fantastic that we have such, you know, amazing and valuable and, and so much information available at our fingertips. Too much. <laughs> it's also, it's also really difficult for a lot of people to do their due diligence, right? Even for me, people will ask me questions and like, what, what do you think about X, Y, and Z? And I'm like, am I supposed to know that? I don't like, is that something that I've never even heard of this thing? Like I can't do my due diligence on it because, you know, it was a post that somebody did about this that was taken totally out of context and now it's gone viral. And, you know, it can be a really difficult thing for people to be able to suss out what mm. is good information and what sort of is just something someone is saying on the internet. Yeah. Yeah. And wait, so the medical medium, he he's a nutritionist or a dietitian? He is neither one. He's neither one. He, he is a person who says that he connects with uh, the spirit of, of doctors 20 years in the future, something like that. And that's sort of how he knows that celery juice is a thing. Fascinating. Fascinating. So folks, be wary. I'm so glad uh, that we touched on this because there is so much of that out there. Um, but getting into it, Ahuva, okay, before and before we even get into using the table as a place to broach, you know, sometimes tough topics, can I ask you just a few, you know, I know a lot of my followers have kids around the same age. Can I just ask you a few food and kid related questions now the holidays are approaching? Always. Okay. Good and bad foods. All right. So my kid is like sitting there and she will be, you know, just eating the chicken and the the carbs and everything like that. And then I'm like, oh, well, you eat the veggies. And she goes, why? And I say, well, they're good. And then I kind of trip over my words. And then I'm like, well, they make you stronger. And then I think, oh, but the carbs can do that too. And, and I get so confused and find myself at a loss for words because all I know, my baseline is that you know, you shouldn't relate some foods to being good or bad inherently. Yeah, definitely. So I think that it's really important just to sort of take it like a, you know, a larger step back and introduce the concept that we talk about a lot in, in, you know, the, the family nutrition space, which is called the division of responsibility. It's a framework that was introduced by a dietitian in the eighties, which really outlines what our role as parents is at mealtimes and really outlines what our kids' roles are at the table. Mm -hmm. And that goes for, you know, as I said, I have an almost one-year-old, whether your child is six months old, six years old, 16 years old, they have a job and a responsibility mm -hmm. as well when they come to the table, right? So our role as parents is to decide what's going to be for meals, right? You mentioned the chicken, the rice, the vegetables that are there also beautiful. And um, our job is to decide when meals are going to happen right? So sometimes in some homes, it might be dinner is five o'clock, six o'clock, seven o'clock. There is no right or wrong where meals are going to happen. So are we eating 
on the, I don't know, dining room, like mm-hmm. table, a dining room table on the family room floor. Like where is all of this happening? We basically get to make every decision up to the point at which the food hits our kid's plate. Mm-hmm. At which point their responsibility takes over, which is to decide if they want to eat and if they want to eat, how much they want to eat. Right. So what that really means is that once the food hits the table, right, and she's decided she's going to start eating some of the chicken and the rice and leave the veggies on the side, your job is kind of done. Okay. Right? No, it, it, it's – and I, I know, like, I know that that's what I should do, but then it also, like, conflicts with some things that I think a parent needs to do, which is, like, show you the right way and, like, kind of give you a loving, tough push sometimes, like, hey, eat those veggies. You know what I mean? It, yeah. It's almost conflicting, even though I know rationally that's what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. So I think that, that the difference that we sometimes think, and I love how you phrased it, is sometimes we think that we have to sort of be the motivation and we have to, you know, be, we have to to push our kids to do those things, especially when it comes to those, you know, the, the vegetables and things like that on the table. Really, our role is to provide the opportunity Mm-hmm. Right. Right. We do that number one by just making them available. Right. So they're just on the table. They're just there. If in 20 years, I probably asked your kids, you know, what, like, what, the, what does a balanced meal look like? They'd probably say chicken, rice, and vegetables. Mm-hmm. Right. Because yeah. that's what they would see night after night on the table. Number one. The other one is to provide the opportunities to try it in whatever way kids feel comfortable. Right. So sometimes we get really caught up with, well, I put the carrots on the table. The carrots are there. You must eat the carrots, right? Like take a bite, just swallow it. Like what is the big deal? Just do it. And really forgetting how many steps sometimes there is even before we might get there, right? It's a food that your your child has never even looked at before. Hey, could you tell me what color those are? Right. Right? What do you think this sound would make if I bit into it? Let's see what I can do and let's see what you can do, right? If it's something like a snap here, it's something like a pepper. Who do you think can make a louder crunch with this, right? Even just providing the opportunity to call the attention to those foods, to call the attention to the fun experience that those are. And we definitely can also call attention to the things that they do for our bodies, right? One thing that my kids know is that every vegetable or fruit part of what makes them so special is that they have dyes in them, right? They think food coloring is super cool. So they think it's super cool that there's natural food coloring and all of those kind of, you know, all of those kind of foods. And so, you know, they think it's really fun to be able to interact with those foods and just kind of like talk about what's in them. I like that. Yeah. And then remembering also that kids typically tend to balance their meals over the course of days and weeks, not necessarily over meals. Right. So yeah. sometimes you know those meals where your child sits down and eats like a boatload of vegetables and you're like, I don't know what just happened. I think she's broken. Like, what, is, <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> uh, but those are typically the times where, you know, our kids are sort of quote unquote making up for those, you know, times where they didn't touch any vegetables because typically they don't sort of, you know, create balanced meals. Mm-hmm. They balance out their over longer periods of time. But how how long is it going to go before, like, she collapses of not having enough vitamins before I have to, like, shove the broccoli in her mouth? So also important to remember is that if kids eat any fruit, they're likely getting all the nutrition they need that vegetables would give them. 
So that if one safe harbor for a lot of parents is that, again, remembering sort of that a lot of the, you know, good things in vegetables and fruit are the things that give them their red color or their orange color, right? Carrots, same thing as oranges. Peppers, same things as strawberries. So, so, so long as, you know, kids are eating some fruit, generally from a micronutrient perspective, they're pretty good to go. So it's almost a nice insurance policy. So that continue serving them their, you know, the vegetables and trying to be a bit more adventurous with those as well. Well, that makes me feel better. That makes me feel so good. See, now beyond like just offering them because I've now got the kids back on broccoli because they were both amazing eaters as babies, like would eat anything I put in front of them. And I'd put weird stuff in front of them. And then of course they go through the thing. And now Lucy, the three-year-old's in like the chicken nuggets and peanut butter on bread and just like so boring and plain but I was just giving them broccoli nonstop. now they both like broccoli but is there any other way aside from just exposure to encourage if there's something on the table that they're not sure about is there another way to encourage them maybe to eat it yeah for sure one thing uh, that I love doing really with kids is even trying to explore some of that um especially you mentioned that she's your daughter's three mm-hmm so it's a great age even to start getting her a bit more involved even in the kitchen, right? Giving her a job, some of the things that you are, that you're trying to get her more exposed to because very often kids sort of know that, you know, sort of as you're talking about with Instagram as well, kids know we have an angle, yeah. right? You're, you're serving them the broccoli and you're like, oh no, no, I just want you to, to just play with it on your plate. Like no big deal. And they're like, Lady, we've got you figured out. Okay. We know, we know what you're up to. So typically when we're doing things like cooking or when, you know, she's just unpacking the groceries and those kind of foods happen to be there. Those are typically times where kids are much more likely to interact with those foods because it's almost fair, you know, fair game because there is no opportunity to eat then. Right. It's clearly not fine that you're being asked to eat something because it's not even mealtime. My kids, even being the children of, you know, of a dietitian, are, are have their foods that they're not super comfortable with. It kills me inside that peanut butter was not one of their favorite foods because oh, no. I I love peanut butter. I know it's it's one of my same parenting disappointments. <laughs> um, but my daughter saw me eating, you know, peanut butter on toast the other day and then asked for asked for some, you know, later on as a snack. She was like, that looks really good, right? So every interaction, it doesn't always have to be just putting it, you know, repeatedly putting it on their plate because that can feel really, really exhausting, but it really is being able to purposefully at those meals, call attention to those foods, right? Uh, Have them interact with those foods to slowly shift along the continuum, right? Maybe today they want to smell it. Maybe tomorrow they want to, you know, just sort of like give a tiny bite and be able to spit it out if if they feel uncomfortable, but how can we at mealtime help them to move along that continuum? And then how can we also get them, you know, exposed in other places so that they can feel more comfortable when they are coming to the table and seeing Mm -hmm. those foods? No, that's great. And, you know, my next question, we we talk a lot about mealtime and this whole episode is going to be about mealtime and that as a foundation for so much. But what about making the most out of mealtime? Because I find that a lot of days, mealtime, dinner time is a shit show because she's been snacking all afternoon. And the second she tells me her tummy's full and she doesn't want to eat anymore. And I say, are you sure your tummy's full? She says, yes. I say, okay, then 20 minutes later, she wants a snack because she knows that snack foods are usually not the same foods that I serve at mealtimes. 
That's definitely. So I think that we as parents, again, you know, sort of have some of these ideas around what snacks are, right? Even when I think about snack, I'm like, bag of lace chips. I don't like something crumb, like crinkly. I want to hear the crinkle, right? I want to know that that's something that's coming. And our kids tend to fall into those patterns as well. So typically they do go for more of those, you know, favorable snack foods that are often lower in nutrient density, higher in calorie density, uh, that are delicious, call it what it is, right? (laughs) Even just playing around sometimes with what we serve as a meal and what we serve as a snack. It can look really funny to your kids sometimes. Like, oh, I'm going to serve you. You don't have a sandwich as a snack. Um, And on your plate at dinner time, we're going to have, you know, some of your, those snack foods also. You could unwrap a granola bar and put that on their plate as well, um, you know, for them to, for them to have at the dinner table so that we sort of break down that, that barrier and those like very clear distinctions between what is a snack food and what's not. And then typically I would recommend closing the kitchen for an hour before and after meals, which can be a difficult one to transition to. That's that's a good idea. It sounds tough though, because then it's like me or my husband are kind of in and out because we don't usually eat. Like we sit down with the kids and we might have a little bit of something, but we typically eat after because we put them to bed by six. Like they're in their rooms. We're walking downstairs at six. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's so good. Yes, mom of three under five. That is how we do. (laughs) Right? And like, I don't know how much longer it's going to last because, of course, Lucy's getting a little older. But I'm like, she's still three. I might be able to – I don't know. Can I hold out until she's five? I don't know. I'm really hoping so. But we'll play that by ear. But I I do like that idea because then it just reinforces that you got to wait and you got to eat at dinner. Otherwise, you're going to be hungry for the next hour. Mm -hmm. I think that it's really important for us to be able to recognize that we some, we like to talk at our kids a lot, Mm -hmm. right? You're going to be hungry. Your, you know, your tummy is going to be hungry later. You're going to be, you know, tired. If you don't go to sleep tonight, you're going to be all these things. And the reality is that my kids talk about, you know, again, my kids are almost five. They talk about things that happened last year as though they happened yesterday they tell me that tomorrow they're going to be old enough to drive my car. Right. And like that's 11 years in the future. Yeah. So time is a really difficult thing for kids. So sometimes we try and talk at our kids about these things and they don't really understand anything that we're saying. Right. And so the only way that kids really learn in so many areas, but definitely in, in regards to food is through the experience of, right. We didn't eat enough at dinner time. Then our tummies were hungry. And now we know that next time we should probably eat more, right? We, we as parents often look at hunger as an emergency situation, right? I always say that, especially to moms, if, if your child says, I'm hungry, you may as well take a big red F and like, you know, write it on your forehead and permanent marker because how dare you as a mother, let your child get hungry. But when we talk about raising intuitive eaters, Right. Part of intuitive eating is being able to understand your hunger cues, honor them and satisfy them. Mm -hmm. Right. If you don't have any hunger cues or you've never had the skill of even feeling like what hunger feels like in your body, 
it's impossible to start building on that foundation, right? Because if we don't know what hunger feels like, why should we care about it? So you need to start that. I think that will revolutionize my kids snacking that. And then I like the snack foods at dinner and like maybe dinnery type foods for snacks. I, I do that sometimes, but not enough. I think I need to be more conscious of it. And, you know, approaching the holidays, Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, whatever, whatever we got, a lot of conversations about food. A lot. And I think about a lot of the adults, myself, my husband, aunts, uncles, cousins, whatever, especially them being from a different generation, they are uh, so not conscious about how they speak about food and how they speak about bodies, their own, never anybody else's, but their own. You know what I mean? I mean, gone are the days and dead are my lovely relatives who would come up to you and pinch your sides and say, oh, you gained some weight, I think. Yeah. <laughs> right? They're all dead by this point <laughs> for the <laughs> most part. But uh, God, I miss them. But growing up and having kids now in these environments when people are going to be having these conversations around food at the holidays, do you have any advice for parents navigating that? And just kind of like things to reinforce within your kids. Totally. So I think that's always a great question. And I think that it's something that parents come up against very often, right? Whether it's going out to family, birthday parties, holidays, whatever that looks like. But definitely this season is a big one for a lot of people. I think there's always a couple of things to think about when, you know, a question that I get asked by parents a lot is, should I say something to my family? I always like parents to sort of think about, I always sort of call them, depending on what you practice, either, you know, Passover Seder family members or Christmas dinner family members. Those family members you only ever see once a year. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to catch up on the whole year by the time you see them again. So those family members, you're probably not going to have very much of an opportunity to talk to them about these kind of things, right? You're only ever seeing them there, number one. So how involved is that family member I, I know that for, you know, my parents are very involved in my children's life. They do not, but if they did say something that was problematic, I would have no choice but to address that because it would be something that was coming up quite mm-hmm. a bit for the number of times that they see my kids, you know, in an average yeah. month. Yeah. So there's that. And then there's also, how is this going to be received by that family member, right? If they're truly that family member that you're like, you know what, it's talking to a brick wall. I'm never, I'm never going to get through. Not those family members who are like, you know, the parents who, or grandparents who are like, I raised you and you turned out fine. Uh, But you know, those family members that you're never going to get through to, again, we sort of have to either just sort of accept that situation and work around it or choose to not engage with those family members or not go to where they are during the holidays. But, and so, you know, when we, if we are going to have any conversations, really thinking about, you know, who are those people that we're going to spend our time trying to do? Maybe they're family members who we see often, we're close with them. I always recommend saying something away from a time where they might actually make a comment, right? So it's not, they say something about their latest diet or, what your child is eating. And suddenly you're like, Hey, now 
we don't do that in here because that's typically not going to go very well. No, especially when but there's wine on the table. And- exactly. <laughs> um, but, you know, sometime when you're in the kitchen and someone's tossing a salad and you're putting something on a serving, you know, we've been switching how we're talking about food. We've been doing X, Y, and Z, and it's really working really well for us. Would, you know, would everybody mind just not talking about, you know, whatever it is on the table, right? Whether it's a eater, whether it's, you know, a child that we're trying to expose to new foods. Listen, we've been working, you know, really hard on making sure that so-and-so feels really comfortable with whatever they're eating. Would everyone mind just not commenting on, you know, whatever is on their plate or anything like that, right? At a time that's away from it. And then I always encourage parents to also just think about how we can frame it to our kids right? Because again, going back to sort of using the table as a place where we can build out to other conversations that we need to have, there are people, I mean, I don't need to even say that in this day and age, there are still people who are blatantly racist, Mm -hmm. right? There are still people who are blatantly homophobic. There are still, there are a lot of conversations that we need to have with our kids that are, hey, in our home, we believe X, Y, and Z. In this other space, you might hear people talking like X, Y, and Z. You know how we feel, right? If you hear anything, and so this might sound like, hey, you know that in our home, we believe that all bodies are good bodies, right? Mm -hmm. And all foods are good foods. Not everybody feels that way. And so you might hear some people saying some not nice things about their own bodies or about other people's bodies. You know how, you know, mommy and daddy feel about this or, you know, whoever, whatever caregiver, you know how we feel in our home. If you hear anything that you want to ask me about afterwards, and this is a really key thing, especially for younger kids, is doing a download after those events. Okay. Right? So if you hear anything that you feel uncomfortable with or that you want to ask me about afterwards, I'm so happy to come and answer any of your questions for you. Right? Because especially if you're in a place where, you know, your kids might hear you say something and then grandma says something else, well, I'm sure they love and adore, you know, grandma and grandpa and they're saying, and and they're so special. And suddenly they're saying this really weird thing that totally goes against how, you know, they've been raised. That's really, that can be really confusing for them, especially from people that they love. And so being able to do the download is, can be a really very important thing um, and then also making sure we give our kids scripts to use in the moment. Oh, so this is something that, yeah. So this is something that again, can be really confusing for, for kids. Again, grandparents, whoever it is, I'm just sort of, you know, throwing grandparents under the bus here, <laughs> but you know, whoever it is, it can be really confusing again, when, when kids are faced with someone they love and there's so many decisions they're trying to make, Right. There are kids who are probably in, you know, sensory overload from everything going on at a holiday party. There's lots of people. There's lots of food. They're like, what do I think my mom wants me to eat right now? Oh my God, what's that on the table? All of these things are like flying at them. And then, you know, grandma or aunt, whoever says, but I made this cake special for you. And it's something they definitely don't want to eat. Right. They're probably going to sit there like a deer in the headlights. What do I say? I don't know. I really don't want it. It looks disgusting to me, but you know, all of these thoughts are going through their heads, which means that if we can just give them a simple, if there's something you don't want to eat that somebody offers you, you can just say, my tummy says, no, thank you. That's smart. It's simple. So to the point. Yep. And so they hear 
X and they respond with Y. They know mm-hmm. exactly what they're doing. They know what's expected of them and being able to reinforce to them that you're not going to make me upset or anybody else upset by saying no thing or by, you know, making your um, preferences known. All that I want you to do is honor your tummy. Well, I, I like that because it's it, it's neutral, right? It, mm-hmm. It's not a response that's saying, oh, that food looks kind of gross. It's not saying I'm full because maybe the kid is hungry for something else. Yeah. But my tummy says no thank you, I think is such a good, a great script for kids because even little ones can understand that. And it, it I don't think anybody will say, well, we'll question that, right? And if they do, they're kind of an asshole. But yeah, I think that's totally. a great script. But also because remembering that kids are born with an ingrained need to make us happy and to connect mm-hmm. with us and to you know want to make us proud and all the things. And so we never want them to be in a situation where they have to wonder, what am I supposed to do right now, right? Us just sort of shifting it back onto them. The only way that you can make me happy right now or proud right now or, or all the things is to just listen to what your tummy wants. If it says yes, go for it. If it says no, thank you. It's no thank you. And we can all move along. All right, Ahuva, we're going to take a quick break and let our listeners know who we're supported by. We are supported by True Earth. And if you listen to this podcast, you know that Shane and I have been trying for a while now to reduce our environmental footprint. It's less now. It is less. We're doing it. One way we're doing this is through eliminating single-use plastics in our household. With two kids and so much laundry between the four of us, our laundry room has become a bit like a what plastic detergent bottle graveyard. It was. It was. Them. Because we have discovered True Earth laundry detergent over a few months ago and have not looked back. The detergent comes in pre-measured soluble strips that you simply like rip apart and just stick them in the washer. It is legitimately so easy. The best part, obviously, no plastic. And because the packaging is so compact, it has drastically changed the tidiness of the laundry room. It has and our living room because it's not bleeding out into the living room anymore all day. Oh my gosh, yeah. And you know, as a family with kids that have super sensitive skin, Lucy and Betty, thank you kids, we opt for the baby detergent for the whole family. It's fragrance-free, gentle on everyone's skin, and it's still so tough on the dirt. So our clothes come out smelling great and crispy clean. But check out True Earth Detergent and, you know, their host of other amazing products at true.earth and use the promo code thisfamilytree10 to get 10% off your order. You can do a one-time buy or a subscription. You will love this product. Take my word for it. Again, that is true.earth and thisfamilytree10. But we are also supported by Bravado Designs. Bravado Designs makes the best bras, nursing and otherwise, that you can get your hands on and get your boobs into nursing and otherwise just every day i know just your tone was weird did you you know because i was introduced to bravado designs when i was a nursing mother with my first baby and now i'm you know heading towards the end of my nursing journey i think with betty but i could still stay on the bravado designs train because they have everyday bras no clips like a nursing mother would need but the same amazing comfort that i have just been so used to and don't want to leave no once you get in the comfort zone there's no uh going back oh hell no and it's I, like I having wouldn't roommates even... and then <laughs> then not having roommates and then going back to having roommates that's tough it is tough and you know almost thirty thousand people on well.ca have reviewed bravado designs bras as 4.8 out of 5 that is 
bizarre for something to have such a high rating after so many tens of thousands of reviews. It's truly incredible and just speaks to the amazing quality and amazing comfort of Bravado Designs. So you can get the nursing bras at bravadodesigns.com or you can head to the Canadian website for access to the everyday collection at ca.bravadodesigns.com. But regardless of which website you go to, use the promo code thisfamilytreat20 for 20% off your entire order. Again, that is bravadodesigns.com and this family tree 20 and now let's get back to our interview with ahuva no i like that i like that so much and i'm going to implement that because that is so easy for me to remember which is one thing and then also for lucy to <laughs> grasp so i do think that's genius and you know we keep kind of touching on the table like using the table to set the stage for other conversations and bigger conversations so i want to delve into that now so if you want to explain I guess, your thoughts around that? Because I I do know you have a lot. Yes, totally. I think that, you know, part of even how I work with parents, I always say that I want to make food the most boring part of any meal time, right? (laughs) And I'm huge into food. So I don't mean the food actually has to be boring, but we spend so much time often on really focusing on talking to our kids about the food, right? Mm -hmm. How many, how much broccoli did you eat tonight? take three more bites of your chicken, try something new, all those things that we so hyper-focus on the food that's on the table that we really miss so much of the opportunity to be able to connect and teach our kids, Mm -hmm. right? And food relates to so many of, you know, again, all of the lessons that we want to be able to teach our children, right? That sometimes as parents, we don't even think about how we can use the table to teach them and or how we might actually be using the table to teach the opposite. Right. Right. So when we talk about things like, you know, body autonomy, let's say where we want to be able to reinforce to our kids, you are the expert of your own body, right? Nobody can tell you, you know, if you say I'm uncomfortable with this, or I want this, or I I am full, uh, you know, whatever that looks like in the future, nobody else has the authority to be able to say to you, you're wrong about your own body. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And then so many of us turn around and our children are like, I'm full. And we're like, no, you're not. I know you're not. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like You could not be full. And so, you know, really thinking about number one, how we even frame all of these things. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, obviously, you know, being able to do the things and obviously, you know, we spoke about some of those things like the out closing the kitchen for the hour before putting our kids in the proper situation where they can properly execute on those things, right. To be able to know that they can tell, are they hungry or are they full, but being able to reinforce the idea that even as your parent, right. Who, if anyone was going to be the expert on our kids' bodies, it would be us, Mm -hmm. but even we don't know, right. We're not the expert on your body. You know, your body best. Right. And even as it sort of comes down to the holidays, right. And thinking about how we interact with other people at the holidays. If we're going to teach our kids, do we want them to think, you know, you should ignore whatever you want or what your body is telling you or whether or not you do feel like you're hungry in order to make somebody else happy? Or should you maybe disappoint other people to be able to make yourself, you know, stand up for what you really do need or want? Right. And so there's so many different ways where we can we can really be able to frame so many of these messages and these, you know, lessons through food and at the table when we kind of take a step back from just focusing on the actual food at the table. 
Yeah. No, the body body autonomy one is huge because it is so funny. You know, we teach consent and, you know, especially if like Lucy comes over and runs and starts, she'll do stupid things. Like she'll start licking my forehead or something. I'm like, Lucy, I do not consent to that. And then we get in a conversation and I have to say, you know, no means no. If somebody tells you no, you have to stop. Just like if somebody does something to you and you don't want it anymore. Even if you did want it, if you stop wanting it, you have to say no and they have to stop. And we have those conversations. But then sometimes I think about the dinner table. Like, well, right now, I guess, because we're talking about it. I'm thinking about the dinner yeah. table. And it'll be like Lucy saying, no, I don't want this. And I'm saying, you are going to have one more bite or no TV after, whatever. And forcing her to go against the no. And that's really where, again, you know, being able to properly understand, like, how do we provide the opportunity to our kids, right? Without sort of putting it in that you have to, or, you know, yeah. putting the pressure on them to to do the thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, and, and really, so with consent and body autonomy, and then even with pleasure, and I know, like, I've seen you say things about that before, but is that yeah. in like having like the taste of food and taking moments to enjoy that? What do you mean? What do you mean by that? It's a great question. Well, I think that it sort of goes back all the way to what you we were even talking about, you know, in the beginning with um, good and bad foods is, you know, we talk a lot about what some foods can do for you, right? In our house, uh, just, you know, talking about sort of quote unquote nutrition, even though we don't directly, you know, I'm not, I'm not really talking to my kids about high level chemistry, but just sort of what different foods do for you. Carbohydrates give you energy, protein helps to build your muscles. And then also the idea that some foods can and are just pleasure for pleasure's sake, right? Not everything has to be productive. We don't only have to focus on, and I know that, you know, especially as women in the 21st century, being, you know, hustle culture and always being productive. <laughs> and I'm like, if I've sat down in a day, I'm a disappointment, right? Oh, yeah. And so, so many of these lessons that we really do, we're so hyper-focused on everything has to have a purpose, right? Very much with food, um, you know, talking about like pleasure as a, as a female, especially is such a still taboo topic, but the idea that we can get just pure enjoyment from something and it doesn't have to be, I'm eating this to, I don't know, like, again, build my muscles or carb load or whatever those things are. Mm-hmm. Ice cream is just delicious, yeah. right? Some yeah, and are just delicious. I just, I just want to hop on that and say, and we don't, we don't have to eat something and acknowledge that we're eating something that does not do anything productive. Like you don't have to eat something and say, oh, this is going straight to the thighs or, oh my God, I got to work out tonight. Like we can eat something without having to say something like that after. Yeah, totally. And also, I mean, again, as in, in working with so many parents, especially, we don't always focus, we focus so much on nutrition and on meal time and how it can, it can educate our kids about physical health. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's much to our detriment that so much of, of our culture focuses on physical health as health, right? It's that, you know, we, we see that time and again, and so many moms, especially that I talk to parents, but, but mothers predominantly are, you know, we'll talk about things like, oh, I didn't make dinner tonight. And, you know, this, like, it was a quick meal and I served cereal for dinner and, you know, this, that, and the other, 
And the idea that, that those kind of things, even when we don't cook dinner, right? When we give our kids ice cream for dinner, when we're like, whatever, I don't even care, right? It really being able to take a step back and say, what did I actually teach my kids tonight? Mm-hmm. Right? I taught them that perfectionism, you know, like we don't, not everything has to be the perfect meal. Sometimes when we're burned out as parents, we're teaching our kids that, you know what, when you're burnt out and you're just, you don't have any, you know, headspace for it, Mm -hmm. that your mental health is more important than a perfectly cooked meal. Mm -hmm. Right. And so being able to really reframe and even say, you don't start saying those things to our kids in age appropriate ways. You know what? I'm always tired. Like let's, we're going to have whatever for dinner. Right. And that's okay. It doesn't always have to be perfect. It doesn't always have to be a perfectly curated or Pinterest worthy meal. We can prioritize our, it doesn't even have to be balanced, right? Toast and butter works too, you know, on nights where we just can't do it, but really being able to think about what area of health are we teaching our kids tonight? And it's not always going to be just physical health. Yeah. No, the, and, and again, we speak so much on this podcast about modeling behaviors, modeling thought patterns, modeling whatever. And that is even modeling a healthy way to live by saying, hey, I'm tired. We're not going to, you know, eat broccoli and chicken and rice. We're going to eat McDonald's takeout, whatever. It's, it's, it's modeling healthy patterns. Yeah, I think. No, and I think that we we need to start, you know, thinking about how we're modeling that for sure for our kids because we tend to beat ourselves up a lot when mm. it's not the chicken, you know, and the rice that it is those simpler dinners. And honestly, it's like I rarely Ahuva, well, I'm never slaving away. I will say that. I'm never <laughs> slaving away over the stove. And you know, I'm I'm putting most nights of the week just quick balanced meals together like throwing veggies on a tray sticking them in the oven roasting them and doing some kind of meat or fish right and then it's that and maybe some fruit on there because I know they'll eat that for sure over the veggies and then maybe if it's been a tough day you know they'll each get like half of a mini muffin or something like that on their plate as well just just to get them eating because that's one thing I learned um which is maybe just giving them some of the dessert with the mealtime and I, I like that. It gets it started. And then she's not like saving room for this dessert that won't even fill up her whole body, her whole body, you know. But I really, really love this. And I want listeners to be able to go and get more of this information from you. Where can they do that? What, what is your presence online? So it's a great question. Instagram is somewhere that I hang out quite a bit. Uh, my handle is at Ahuva, A-H-U-V-A-R-D. Um, I tend to go, you know, live there, share, make a lot of ridiculous reels and share tons of information in there. And then I also run a free community for parents on Facebook called the busy mom's guide to feeding your family. I love that. That's awesome. That's awesome. And a free community. I mean, listeners, we can all use a little free stuff. Life is expensive, especially around the holidays. Yeah, totally. That's amazing. Ahuva, thank you so much for joining me. I'm really happy we were able to make it work. Yeah. No, it's been been so great. I learned so much and just had a good hang. So (laughs) thank you so much and have a great rest of your week. We'll let you know when, uh, when this is going up. You too. All right. Take care. Bye. That was Ahuva. And that is an interview that I'm leaving and actually 
going to implement what we talked about. It's so needed. These kids, Lucy snacks every five minutes. It's driving money out of our bank account. So it's it's not going to affect our eating at all. No, no, we can snack, which is maybe not make it so uh, such an obvious thing. Okay, but let's get into the question segment. Now, this is the listener mailbag. We've gotten questions. You're going to supply answers, and I'm along for the ride. Let's see. What do we got here? Like supplying answers. All right. First question. Should husbands start taking their wife's surnames? So according to online, like men who are polled that have done this, uh, they do so either to make a political statement, uh, to have some connection to a new family that maybe they didn't have before, or simply because they don't like their birth name. So- it's interesting and I'm I'm for it. I'm for just taking the name of whoever who's got more cachet, I guess. What name is gonna better serve the family? You know what I mean? But I, I am such a I'm a team player and I do like the idea of a family having the same name only because then it does make it easier. Like for my sake, it makes it easier when traveling with the kids and, you know, doing government stuff, applying for birth cards, health cards, all that jazz. Yeah, I'm all about little percentages making life a little bit easier and smoother. So, yeah, I'll go with the flow. Take like whatever name people want to have, have. If I put up a fight chain and said, no, we're taking my name. How hard would I have to twist your arm to have made that happen? For me to be Lamparski? Mm-hmm. Maybe more in the beginning. Now I feel like I don't care anymore. <laughs> yeah, I don't care. I, I like being Cunningham, though. It's good. It's good. Yeah, you never use it, but that's fine. I use it all the time. If you order a pizza, you still say Lamparski. That's not loving the Cunningham. No, name. pizzas, I do Cunningham. But if it's something like, you know, furniture cleaning or something like that, I do Lamparski. Get the hookups. Next question. I'm starting to be more present on social media. How do you get comfortable without using a filter? Why do you get hookups with a couch cleaning? Sorry. Well, if they know my uncle or something, everybody knows my uncle. Everyone so, knows my dad. No, no. It's it's different though. Like it's ridiculous. Uh, the amount of people that are like actually like friends with George. Yeah, it's crazy. I guess it's more that my dad knows everyone. Maybe yeah. everyone doesn't know him. Okay. Uh, so... How to get comfortable on social media without using a filter. The easiest way to do it is just wake up one morning and say, this is the day I'm going to stop using filters and just doing it. And when I stopped using filters in stories, the first week sucked. I was so self-conscious. I was so nervous. I was only storying when the light was perfect or I had, you know, makeup on and it was it was really hard to look at each one. So I'd kind of just do a story and then throw it up without looking at it too much or focusing on it. Because then I, I really would focus on my imperfections. And as we all know, nobody's analyzing you the way that you analyze yourself. Nobody has time. Nobody cares. Uh, and that that would just be nuts. So I stopped thinking that way and just started kicking things out. And after a week, it just became so easy and so natural. And then I, I was addicted to the Paris filter, like the, you know, the one that kind of smooths and brightens everything. But then after a week, I'd put on the Paris thing and then I, I'd feel odd with it. And I thought it looked so funny because my brain was already used to doing no filter. And that's all you have to do is just do it long enough to rewire your brain and then you're good. But Shane, how do you feel when you're storying or when I'm putting up stories with you in it? When do you feel you're most comfortable or uncomfortable? 
never comfortable when you're filming putting me a story. The way you integrate is not natural when it comes to me. Yeah. So you never tell me if I'm going to be on it. You're just doing it. Well, isn't that the most natural? No, because <laughs> sometimes I'm trying to avoid the camera and I don't know if I'm in the background. Yeah. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. I'm not making camera face. So when you make camera face, I don't know, you're posing in a certain way to look a little bit better. So I yeah, I get, uh, if I see myself in the background, I get a little depressed on your stories. Like, That's oh, I wish, you, I wish you would have said something. In terms of filter, I think the only thing more depressing than just me doing a story and seeing my face without a filter would be seeing it with a filter. Because mm. if I look way better, then, then I'm like, oh, I don't look like that. That hurts me. Yeah. So I don't, I don't like seeing myself looking better and if it's not me. Yeah, no, and that, and that's the thing, and we just have to get used to seeing ourselves like that. But I have a couple steps. If you do want to go filterless, but it's hard to do all in one go, first thing to do, follow accounts that don't use filters and get rid of all the accounts that do and just start seeing more normal, natural faces. Next, switch to, like, if you're a person who likes using the ones that you know, kind of actually change your features. Like which give you a nose job, most of them. A lip jobs, most yeah. people. But switch to only Paris filter, right? That's like one of the standard ones. Just switch to that so your features don't change, but you get a little brightened and smoothed and only use that for another week. Then get rid of Paris, but only do it in good light with makeup when you're feeling good, when you're feeling comfortable, you know, and then just ditch the makeup, ditch the great lighting and just start storing whenever you want. That'll take another bit of getting used to. But all it is, is rewiring your brain and getting used to seeing yourself in a natural light. Because then once you do, putting on filters is the weird thing. But then do you stop combing your hair, brushing your teeth? Do you stop wearing fancy clothes? Anyway, do we no, have any... No, I'm making social commentary. <laughs> Shane, do we have any New Year's resolutions? I would like to honestly eat better in a way that makes me feel better because I think that's important. Mood is important to me. I would like to go on the Peloton more. Well, this is my first year with the Peloton. I'll put it to you this way. I'd like to go on the Peloton during the, the hardest months in Canada to find time to work out, which would be from January to March. That is a dead zone in Canada where you're not really doing activity in the best of times, let alone COVID times. Mm -hmm. So I think this is going to be a very different year for me for physical activity. So I'm looking forward to that. And that is my resolution. Yeah, no, I think it'll be really good. And for me, it's just staying on top of my life, staying on top of things, not letting things get away from me and just really putting my best foot forward with that. And it sounds, you know, like, oh, that's uh, such a regular New Year's resolution. But it is something that I, I really need to get a better grasp of because I really am terrible at it and I really want to get better. That's I, good. <laughs> yeah. Next question. How do you ask for help when you need it? I'll give my answer. And Shane, you can think about yours. You start I, crying. I, yeah. Thanks for stepping on my toes there. But yes, that's what I was going to say. I don't have a good way of doing it. I start crying <laughs> because I don't ask until I'm already overwhelmed and upset and it's driving me crazy and then whether it's to Shane or my parents parents or whatever I'll just start crying because I I'm just so overwhelmed by that point so maybe that should be in my new year's resolutions as well you know start asking for help earlier which I, I think I've been doing lately actually well I don't really ask for help at all I'm you I'm too busy helping people I find Everyone comes to me for help. <laughs> I do find that. Do, do you not find that? Yeah, I do. With me? I do. So 
I don't know. Yeah, I've never really reached out for that much help. Maybe filling out a form. You'd be the person I... I don't like forms. I have trouble filling them out. So you help me with that. And then like we, we get a lot of help from parents and things like that. You know, I ask for behalf of us, like if we're going out or something and, or we want to take a break and we need to ask for babysitters, like help even in that way, you know, in a more tangible way. I ask you for the most help. Mm-hmm. Composing an email, I feel like I can make a really great email in my mind. But when it comes to making it look nice, I need a lot of help from you. So yeah. that's a huge thing I ask for help because mm-hmm. I'm very insecure about looking unintelligent. No, no, that's, that's, I realized too, that's a big thing for me online. I hate it when somebody undermines my intelligence or assumes mm-hmm. you know, that I'm not educated or something. It really pees me off. Yeah, because you know you are intelligent. For mm-hmm. me, I have the imposter syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is where I... <laughs> okay, you get the point. What's the next question? <laughs> if you have to get married where you first met, where would that be? Where okay. you first met? Shane, there's two options here because I want to know what would count more. Would we be getting married at the YMCA where yeah. we first filmed that music video? Or would we be getting married at Gallagher's where we really met for the first time no we'd get married at the ymca because that's where we first met and that's not where we fell in love you don't even remember me at all no but i remember uh working for free for certain somebody you got pizza you got pizza and And i remember you were like hey this is the key to my heart how did you guys know and you were making all these very (laughs) cheesy jokes no pun intended as you were eating the slice well what's changed nothing has changed i still love pizza and i still love cheesy jokes oh you do yes and i i was you had a good one today i was laughing at it oh you were talking to your niece on the phone and you were like hey elsie i'm thinking about bringing gifts over tomorrow but you wouldn't want anything to do with that would you (laughs) and she She's like, yes, I would. I would like a gift. You're like, oh, I thought you might. And I was just, it was just so cheesy, but I was loving it. I was laughing so hard watching you do that. Oh, man. All no, right. but it's good. You're a sweethearted woman. Mm. You right. are. Well, cheesy jokes you. are a sign that you're a very nice person. Thank you. I was you're needing welcome. a little bit of love. All right. In Australia, they're looking at only letting those who are vaccinated receive organ transplants. I was looking into this a little bit more because I had no uh, foundation. They're looking at the same thing in Canada. I believe on the West Coast, they've been talking about it for quite a while. So the transplant programs, they're strongly, and this is in Canada, they're strongly encouraging all pre-transplant patients to get vaccinated against COVID-19. But they do this with every other vaccine preventable disease or infection, or whatever. So it's not a, a discriminatory thing, but it that's what gives the transplant the best chance at working. And they want to ensure that the transplants are going to people who can then, you know, hopefully enjoy them for many years to come. But if you are giving a transplant to a person who is against the vaccine, and then that person is high risk because they have just went gone through an organ transplant, and then they get COVID and then they die. The organ, an organ is then wasted when it could have been given to somebody who would have been able to enjoy it for several decades. You could it be I mean? like a hot potato situation, though, where the, you're transplanting the organ, then that person dies? Can't you just be like, oh, organ out to someone I have else? No idea. Just keep I, passing around. That'd be fascinating. But How like, many I mean, organ swaps can it go? That's such a good question. But, but look, Shane, if it's lungs, 
those get decimated by COVID, right? So it's yeah. like if somebody gets new lungs or a new lung, and then they get COVID three months later because they chose not to get vaccinated, then those lungs could have gone to somebody, you know, who who would have really been taking precautions against that. So like I get it, but at the same time, I I want everybody to be taken care of, but I do understand that I think from a a supply standpoint because yeah. organ donations you have to be on lists for years right serious question is a if a man's unit was being transported like let's say there was an accident and a guy is getting his uh, like another penis put mm-hmm. on would that be considered an organ transplant is that still an yeah, organ it's a sexual organ yeah organ okay yeah, yeah. Mm, that's an organ and i wonder how long if you could just keep swapping that out or if maybe an organ can only last the normal lifespan of a human. Oh, I guess, right? Because the skin and everything is still aging and the cellular functions are still decreasing with time. That's and Maybe a heart only has so many beats in it, you know? <laughs> what? That's real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, it's just, it's, it's a funny thought just to do the hot potato organs. And mm-hmm. especially if you had like hot potato genitalia. And that was getting swapped person to person because then would the person who was, you know, most recently getting the genitalia, would they have then be considered to have slept with all the people that the previous penis owner had slept with? Probably not. But yeah, if it had a STD on it, like herpes or something, that probably gets you out of it. (laughs) Well, I don't think you could donate it again. Right. If you had an STD, yeah. I think that would be all interesting <laughs> thoughts. I think Tommy Lee would probably have a popular organ if yes. he was donating it. That one would be but one he, they probably he want. He couldn't. Why? Because he has Hep C. Oh, he does. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's like a known thing. Him and Pam have it. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. You and your Reddit forums now. <laughs> I have to. Now you're making me um, a little less confident. But I was like. Have known I knew for, she did. I didn't know he did. I thought they both did. I thought did. she got it after. Yeah, not sure. Thought they both did, but that's it. That's all. Well, good episode. Thank you for listening, everyone. Uh, if you could give us a rating, we'd appreciate it. But yeah, I guess that's all. That's it for this, this family, family tree, tree podcast. podcast. Episode 113. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs>